From LPL Financial, welcome to Market Signals. I'm your host, Ryan Dietrich. The Fed minutes from the May 4th FOMC meeting will probably get the most attention this week. There are a number of pieces to the inflation story uh, with the Ukraine-Russia conflict, but you've also got labor supply issues still. You know, we'll we'll see what we hear from the Fed. So that's probably the most important thing this week, uh, other than just watching to see if if the S&P 500 does indeed enter a bear market. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest LPL Market Signals podcast. Jeff Bookbinder here, filling in for Ryan Dietrich with my good friend, fixed income strategist, Lawrence Gillum. Our goal for today is to um, take good care of Ryan's baby. I feel a little bit like a uh, teenage kid where the parents gave him the keys to the car, and our goal is to just not get in a wreck. How are you today, Lawrence? I'm doing great. I am excited to be here. Uh, so, you know, I, I will try to do my best to not uh, to not wreck the car. Very good. I have confidence. Um, so today we're recording this uh, Tuesday, May 24th, 2022. Uh, let's get into it. Here's what we're going to talk about today. Um, it's not like Ryan's not with us, even though he's not, because uh, he's traveling. Um, we are using a lot of the content from what Ryan has been writing about bear markets recently. By our definition, 20% down, close to close on the S&P 500. We're not in a bear market yet, but we are very, very close. So we'll talk about uh, four things uh, to know about bear markets. And then um, we certainly got to talk about bonds because that's Lawrence's gig. So he'll talk about some of the things that he highlighted in the weekly market commentary this week, which you can find on LPL.com about bonds starting to look more interesting. Uh, And then finally, we'll talk a little bit about um, what's on tap for the week with uh, economic data and the Fed minutes. Uh, So, um, of course, um, you know, everybody's talking about this, you know, bear market. First, will it be a bear market or not? And second, how much worse could it get? Uh, So we'll provide some color on this. But but, um, this is a chart of the S&P 500. And you can see here, you know, on an intraday basis, we did hit uh, a bear market. The S&P 500 is down seven straight weeks, a little bit up this week so far as we're recording this, despite Tuesday's losses. Uh, hopefully, we'll avoid eight straight weeks down. That seven-week losing streak, um, that was the first time in, in uh, over 20 years that stocks have been down that much. Um, you know, Our view at LPL Research is that this 3,800 to 3,900 range holds but uh, certainly it's very hard to have conviction um, that it will. Certainly we've had um, very, uh, let's call them active debates internally within the research department about best move for portfolios right now. We're being a little bit careful, but certainly having some discussions about uh, maybe adding a little bit bit more risk. Um, Now, Lawrence, um, I know you're not an equity guy, but uh, what do you think investors should be paying attention to here as we, um, you know, think about whether S&P 500 uh, can, can find a low. Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's all about the inflationary environment at, at you know, current, uh, but then how the Fed reacts to that and those, uh, those inflationary prints. We get an important reading on Friday, which I think we're going to talk about, but, um, you know, if, if our expectation is, comes to fruition and, and inflation starts to, to kind of roll over over the course of the year, it should set up a pretty interesting backdrop for, for risk assets broadly and, and the equity market specifically. Yeah, absolutely. The Fed and inflation is certainly key. This is where uh, really 
you know, bond people, I think, are in as good a position or better to evaluate this environment as stock people, because certainly inflation is more of a focus for fixed income historically. So um, let's get into the um, these four takeaways or four key things we think you should know about bear markets. So here's the first one. Stocks tend to do well after entering a bear market. So we haven't gotten there yet, but if we do, the median gain for the S&P 500 over the next year has been 24%. So, you know, obviously it's important where you start, but this, we start, certainly think there's some good returns ahead of us. And here's the chart showing you, this is from Ryan, showing you all of these numbers, right? After you enter a bear market, historically, actually it's the median return of 24%. The average is 15. Uh, it's really important to highlight the big dispersion here, right? So if you look at the 12 month column, you know, 1973 and, and 2008 were dramatically negative, right? Not just recessionary environments, but very bad recessions, right? So, you know, if we don't go into recession or if we have a mild recession, certainly a possibility, then you're, you're probably looking at something closer to this 24% median gain uh, over the um, over the next 12 months. So, you know, keep this in mind. If we avoid a crisis, and this is where fixed income comes in, Lawrence. If we avoid a crisis where people are worried about companies going bankrupt, right? Nobody liked the results from Target and Walmart. And last night, nobody liked the results from Snap. However, I don't think too many people are expecting those companies to go bankrupt. So I think it's important to think about the credit markets and trying to distinguish whether we're going to have a full-blown recession and crisis, which certainly you saw in 2008, or if we're going to have something more, you know, either a mild recession or no recession, in which case there's strong gains, um, gains ahead. So are you seeing anything in the credit markets that worries you, or does this still look like kind of garden variety recession slash garden variety recession slash mild correction? Yeah, it's it's more the 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 kind of mild slowdown that we're all expecting. We we have seen spreads widen a bit in the credit markets, but only back to kind of historical averages or, or back to averages that that um, are more specific to time periods where monetary policy is being removed. Uh, but we're not seeing a kind of any sort of jump to credit conditions where we're, you know, we're defaults are expected to increase, frankly. So I mean, we're, they're still relatively well-behaved uh, despite the fact that we have seen spreads move a, a touch wider, but you know, coming into the year, spreads were so tight and so expensive that this kind of backup in spreads is, is, I would say, normal given kind of the the uh, the economic backdrop that we're that we're looking at on on a go forward basis. But nothing that's concerning as it relates to an increase in defaults for sure. Yeah, we'll certainly watch all that very closely, especially Lawrence. Um, so here's point number two: once it begins, it can come, it can end fast or slow. Right. The median number of trading days for bear markets to bottom once they start is 81, you know, which is a few months. Um, so that's not great. But five of them bottomed in less than 46 calendar days. That's fairly fast. So, you know, if you if we enter a bear market this week, hypothetically, uh, then that tells you that maybe by, you know, early July, uh, this the, the bottom would be in. Bottoming is a is a process, of course. Uh, you typically retest sometimes multiple times uh, at bottoms. You tend to have a lot of volatility, big swings in either direction. We're certainly seeing that. But if this is more of a, 
you know, it, it grows scare or a mild recession, uh, then we got a good chance for this thing to work itself out uh, by midsummer, if not sooner. So here's the, the numbers. Uh, this is the um, calendar days to bottom. And again, there's a lot of dispersion. So, you know, figuring out if we're in a really bad recession with a crisis, a financial crisis or not, is important because you can see here, you know, the average is 154 days to bottom after you start, but 81 day median, because there's so many of these that are, you know, much shorter, right? So again, you just highlight 1973, really bad, uh, 2001, really bad, multiple crises in 2001, uh, when the tech bubble burst, and then 2008 and 2009, we, you know, most of us remember how bad that was, uh, took quite a bit of time. Uh, so, you know, if we're not in those environments, <clears throat> then it's very reasonable to expect this um, bottom to play out in just, just a few months. So moving on to number three, um, recoveries. So that was just time to bottom, right? But recoveries from bear market lows, which is what people really want to know, right? When am I going to get what I lost back? Uh, it takes an average of 19 months. It's pretty long. But if no recession, seven months. <clears throat> and here you see the numbers. So Lawrence, if you're right, and this is not a credit event with significant credit stress, along with a recession, uh, then the recovery can be pretty quick. I mean, nothing, <laughs> I can't say never, it's gonna be hard to beat the record uh, in, in the 2020 lockdown recession, right? That bear market was over in a month. And then the recovery was just five months after a 34% decline. That was of course, abnormal, very unusual circumstances. But you know, if you have a bear market, uh, that's only down, let's call it 22%, as Ryan did in this study, you can recover your losses in seven months. So that would suggest recovering by year end. So, you know, th that's frankly, that I think is the LPL research based case. It might take a little longer. Every bear market's different, certainly if we get one. But it's, it's certainly reasonable to think that this one, <clears throat> based on the economic fundamentals and the earnings fundamentals, and prospects for inflation to fall in the second half, that this one could be one of the shorter recoveries. So we would say closer to seven months uh, and a milder bear market than the, let's call it 27 months when the bear markets are bad, takes 27 months on average uh, to, uh, to recover. So those are, the, um, those are the four points on bear markets. Anything, well, actually, the, here's the fourth point. Um, those are the three statistical analysis uh, tables that I have for you. But this point's probably the most important. And then I'll go to you, Lawrence, for any uh, um, comments to wrap up this segment. Bear markets always end, right? Every bear market has ended with stocks at new highs throughout history. And we don't think this one will be any different. They feel awful when you're in them. You don't know when they're gonna end. You don't know how far down they're gonna go. All we can do is study history and see what you know, historical analogs we can use to gauge uh, what this one might look like. But nonetheless, um, we'll get to back to all-time highs again. Uh, we always have, uh, and we'll, we'll we'll do it again. So anything to add on bear markets, Lawrence, before we uh, we move on to bonds? Actually, maybe just want to uh, to selfishly promote kind of our, our, our uh, blog post that'll be posted to LPL Research today. Uh, Josh Whitmore, a uh, an analyst on our team, uh, you know, works closely on the, the fixed income strategy side with myself. 
he put together a blog looking at how bonds have performed during these equity market uh, drawdowns. And, uh, and, and, you know, I think to, su to a surprise, no one, you know, the bonds have actually performed really well during these environments. Uh, this year, obviously, is the exception. We started with really low rates to, to, to begin the year and, and even lower rates last year. Uh, so the kind of the repricing within the fixed income markets has been painful and hasn't provided that, those diversification benefits. But we are seeing signs that now that we've uh, we we uh, surpassed 3% on the 10-year treasury yield. We are seeing additional signs of diversification within bonds. So if this bear market does persist or even uh, if it gets worse, you know, bonds, we think, are in a good position to help provide that diversification benefit that they provided all those uh, those many decades before today. Yeah, that's a, a good teaser for our, our bond segment, which is coming next. But I just want to wrap up, you know, the thoughts on the bear market. Um, by looking at sort of the key issues that'll, we think, determine uh, where this thing goes. Uh, of course, hard to predict, but you know, you mentioned it up front, Lawrence, the, the two most important things to the markets right now uh, are inflation and the Fed. They're of course tied together. Uh, we in LPR Research think that the Fed will take a pause at the end of the year. In fact, I guess Bostic, you know, kind of sparked some speculation that, Maybe we'd even get a, um, uh, a pause as soon as September. Not sure about that. But nonetheless, we think there'll be a pause at some point before the end of the year. And we're going to transition to 25 basis point hikes, not 50. But we need to see inflation come down. By far and away, the most important drivers of this market in the near term, we think. Uh, of course, China is important right now because of the zero COVID policy and that impact on supply chains. And of course, um, Ukraine continues to drive commodity prices higher and contribute uh, to inflation. Um, we need to see some resolution there to help us with the inf inflation problem. So there are your concerns on the bottom here, inflation in the Fed, of course, Ukraine, credit markets that Lawrence talked about, zero COVID policy in China, not just China's impact on supply chains, but China's impact on global growth. In fact, China's economy is slowing so much, it actually probably gonna grow slower than the US uh, this year, which is highly unusual. I don't even know when the last time that happened. Uh, it's been many decades. So um, we've got to watch that too. So that's these are things to watch uh, as we try to gauge uh, the market's next move. Now, Lawrence, here's the best part of this podcast. In fact, we're probably going to lose listeners after we do this and we, we segue into bonds. Um, Lawrence, you are a master griller. And so one of the most interesting things, when you meet a bond guy, you think, you know, how interesting is this guy going to be, right? He's a bond guy. But I found out about your grilling skills and, you know, and of course we've hung out in, in, in Charlotte uh, when I was able to make that trip down there not too long ago. And I had a, I had a great time. So you're one of the fun ones. Um, tell, tell the listeners first, how many grills you have? That's question number one. And then what are you going to be making over Memorial Day weekend, um, that's uh, question number two. Yeah, no, I hope my wife isn't watching because uh, she's, I, I don't know that she fully understands how many grills that we have because uh, I have uh -oh. some uh, under the, the the deck here. She's not uh, going to listen to this. I, I, I hope not. Uh, I'll get in trouble if she does. But uh, so I have three smokers, a, uh, a charcoal grill, and then a, a, a gas grill. Um, and at one point, because I am the, the you know the, the fun bond guy, I've actually used them all at one time. Uh, so I've been had you know we we had wow. some folks over and and I had, you know we had a lot of uh, 
a lot of barbecuing, smoking, and, and, and that kind of stuff going on. So it was a it was a good time. But uh, if my wife's listening, just one. Very good. And with that one grill that you have, what are you going to make uh, this this coming uh, weekend? Well, by by the way, we're going to take next week off from uh, from the podcast, and then Ryan will be back in in, in two weeks. So I want to get out there in case I forget. Um, so uh, you know, we'll take next week off. But what what are you going to be cooking? Because and I, yeah. I also want to help with with a brisket because I'm going to smoke a brisket here soon, and I want your advice. Well, yeah, no, that's that's what we're going with. The first kind of the first. Uh, oh, great you know, first of, of, of summer and, you know, we, we want to kick off summer, right. And, and, uh, you know, we're going to smoke a brisket. We're going to hang out by the lake all weekend. It's going to be a, it should be a good weekend. Awesome. I love it. I'm getting hungry. I'm glad I had breakfast. Um, so, you know, maybe bonds aren't quite as much fun as, as cooking out, but they're actually becoming a little bit more fun, right? Because people are actually getting some yield. So, uh, so, Lawrence, you did a great weekly market commentary. You can find it on LPL.com about how bonds are actually uh, getting more, more interesting here. So um, why don't you take a few minutes here? I think we've got three three charts and uh, walk people through uh, bond market. Some listeners might be surprised at um, these valuation stats you've got here. Yeah, no, for sure. It's been a, a incredibly difficult year for, for uh, fixed income investors, core bond investors, down about nine and a half percent. If you look at the, uh, the the returns on the Bloomberg Aggregate Bond Index, which is that uh, that core bond index, so it's been a really difficult year. Uh, so it you know it made us step back and 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 think about the the primary reasons why we own core bonds in our portfolios to begin with. And and there's three primary kind of value added propositions for core bonds. The first one is you know liquidity. You know, bonds are going to be the most liquid part of your portfolio, and to help you provide uh, you know the 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 ammunition. So to speak, if you wanted to, uh, you know, reallocate into into equities or anything else, so, you know, historically fixed income markets have been the most liquid uh, within the, that portfolio. The second value proposition is the uh, diversification benefits, which we'll talk about in, in just a second. Uh, diversification to equity market risk, and then finally, it's the income component, the, the total return component of uh, of, of the fixed income uh, part of your allocation, and that's been, you know, a, a a struggle recently for fixed income investors to generate income, but because of the the sell off that we've seen in fixed income markets broadly over the over the past year, uh, past you know five and a half months uh, more specifically, yields and 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 potential income on a lot of these fixed income markets are the best that we've seen in quite some time. So, you know, the acronym TINA was a was a big uh, you know reason why asset allocation portfolios were overly geared towards equities over the past few years, but. Um, and, and Tina stands for there is no alternative uh, as a reminder, but with the, the backup and yields that we've seen in, in most markets, you know, fixed income is, is attractive again, and it's generating income again, and uh, it's generating yields that, and, that, and potential returns that we haven't seen uh, in, uh, in over a decade. So as bad as, as you know, the, the fixed income markets and performance has been this year, on a go forward basis, we do think there's a lot of opportunity uh, for fixed income investors. Or even those investors that don't want to take on additional equity risk. You know, there's a number of fixed income markets that are yield that are yielding, uh, you know, more than you know, some of these equity dividend strategies. So, uh, with with a lot less volatility. So, it, 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 again, it's been I can't we can't stress enough that it's been a, a very difficult year uh, for fixed income investors. But on a go forward basis, you know, we do think the prospects have improved uh, pretty meaningfully. The, yeah, there's the, definitely definitely okay. been no no place to hide, but. 
for you know investors starting with new fixed income positions today, you know, you're in as good a shape as you've been in in over a decade. Yeah, I mean, if you start the clock today and look forward five to seven years, which we'll show a, a slide on why that's important. But uh, you know, with the the uh, the Bloomberg Aggregate Index around three and a half percent today, uh, you know, we think that on a go forward basis, again, over the next five to seven years, we think that you're going to average about three and a half percent out of your fixed income returns uh, without taking on a lot of a, a lot of risk. Uh, and we haven't had those types of yields uh, in in at least a, de a decade. So. Um, we do think the opportunity set has improved, but so the, the the chart that we're showing here on the on the slide is that you know starting yields are still the best predictor of future returns. So all this, the yields that we just showed on the previous slide, we do think that those are going to correspond to future returns because frankly it's it's all about the bond math, right? So we within the fixed income landscape, we have a pretty good understanding of of what to expect out of returns. So you get your your principal back at par or above par if it's called early. And you get your contractually obligated coupons that you collect throughout the uh, the life of that of that investment, because of those uh, those you know structural return drivers, you know the, the starting yields have corresponded, you know quite frankly you know pretty well with with future returns. So if you look at kind of the orange line, those are your the the you know the subsequent five years after you buy fixed income, right? So uh, and then the, the the blue line is the the starting yield. And so the, the fact that the orange line and the blue line are, are aligned and, and have been aligned over time, again, that's, you know, that's, the, that's the, the fact that starting yields have been the best predictor of future returns. And we think that's going to be uh, consistent on a go forward basis because we don't uh, you know, expect the bond math to change, frankly, because we, you know, it, it, it's contractually obligated. So fixed income is, is one of those asset classes where you're, you know, you're, you're pretty certain what to expect on a go forward basis. And that starting yield, starting yields, and as mentioned on the previous slide, those starting yields look uh, fairly attractive. Yeah, good stuff. And then you mentioned, Lawrence, that the you know the bond market is now a better diversifier to um, equity risk. Um, so, you know, walk closer through how this chart kind of makes that point. Yeah. So this chart is it's a little busy. Uh, but each individual line represents the 30-day correlation between stocks and bonds. So that just represents the, the relationship between stocks and bonds. So if, if stocks go up and, and bonds go down, you'll see a, a, a line below that zero line. Uh, but if, if, if stocks and bonds you know, both go down at the same time, you're going to see you know, a line above, above the zero line. So over time, there has been a negative correlation between stocks and bonds. It doesn't always hold. It's not always negatively correlated. They're, you know, they're, stocks don't always... Uh, when, when stocks go down, bonds don't always go up, uh, but for the most part, they have. It hasn't happened this year, as we talked about earlier, because starting yields, uh, you know, back in in the the bottom of, of uh, August of 2020, you know, we plateaued at, at 50 basis points. That's not enough cushion for for fixed income to provide those diversification benefits. So over the course of the of the last year, year and a half, we've seen a 260 basis point move higher in you know the 10-year Treasury yield. That 260 basis points is then able more. Uh, I guess it's it's able to provide a more consistent drawdown experience relative to history. Uh, you know, so when we've seen equity markets, for example, this this month sell off, uh, bonds have rallied, and that and that's what we would expect, kind of given that uh, that repricing of rates and, and the the better cushion now that we have higher interest rates. Um, you know, with within the the treasury market, so. Uh, we do think the diversification benefits have improved significantly over the course of the past year and a half because of that repricing in, in rates and 
You know, it's one of the it's one of the most important parts of our diversified asset allocation process is having, you know, equity diversifiers and and the ability to kind of cushion those equity drawdowns, uh, and and we think you know, at the current level of of interest rates, bonds can provide that cushion again. Yeah. So while we're having some uh, healthy debates about uh, whether to add equities here at our um, investment committee meetings, we're also having some you know debates about what to do with fixed income, and I think. If, if we do uh, decide to add some equities here, which would certainly be uncomfortable, sometimes the best trades are the uncomfortable ones, uh, it probably also makes sense to just ensure that our fixed income allocations uh, will provide that ballast and, and be fairly um, you know, defensively positioned, which, which they are. You know, right, Lawrence? They yeah, are, we right? yeah, we have had a pretty defensive uh, fixed income posturing in our, our model portfolios for for quite some time. You know, first of all, we've been underweight fixed income broadly because we we like the upside potential for equities. But within our fixed income allocations, we've been shorter duration, which means we've had less interest rate sensitivity in our portfolios relative to the Bloomberg Aggregate Index. Um, be, because we've seen rates move as high as they have, though, I mean, there's there's a discussion about increasing our duration, increasing our interest rate uh, exposure to help offset those uh, that that equity risk that uh, that that we're seeing and that we could see in the, in the future. So um, we're not there yet, and uh, you know we do think that there's uh, you know maybe a potential for slightly higher rates than than what we're seeing currently. But uh, we we think the worst of of the rate move is is behind us, and now we are starting to get a little bit more comfortable with uh, with adding duration risk to portfolios. Yeah, we we spent last year kind of shoring up our our bond portfolios to make sure they could provide a little bit more cushion in terms of credit risk anyway. Um, and we had some defensiveness in our rate positioning too. Uh, but uh, yeah, like you said, there's really been nowhere to hide year to date. Um, we invest with, you know, by looking through the windshield, not using the rear view mirror and, and certainly looking forward, um, bonds look like good opportunities. And I'm certainly glad uh, that we have uh, taken some risk down in our fixed income over the last a uh, couple of years. So um, thanks for that, Lawrence. Let's transition to what to watch the rest of the week and and wrap up. Um, so uh, the Fed minutes you know, from the May 4th FOMC meeting will probably get the most attention this week. Um, our chief economist, Jeff Roach, in his latest um, video talked about looking for supply chain comments. We have seen some signs of supply chains easing. Uh, and so hopefully, uh, the Fed will confirm that they're starting to see that too. It's one piece of inflation. There are a number of pieces to the inflation story, you know, some of which I mentioned uh, with the Ukraine-Russia conflict, but you've also got labor supply issues still. Um, and um, you know, we'll, we'll see what we hear from the Fed. So that's probably the most important thing this week, uh, other than just watching to see if, if the S&P 500 does indeed enter a bear market. Uh, we get some retail earnings this week which have been mixed so far, continuing the theme from last week, mixed at best. Uh, we get the Fed's preferred inflation measure this week too on Friday. Uh, so we'll be looking for some deceleration there. This is really the start, uh, we think, of the decelerating inflation data. It's gonna be stubbornly slow uh, to come down, but, but let's, let's get started on that process right away. That uh, can't come soon enough. Uh, so that's really um, kind of it for this week. Earnings season is losing its ability to impact markets, uh, but it's certainly limping to the finish with the 
disappointments from Walmart and Target last week, and then today, uh, the uh, or yesterday, disappointing results from Snap in the social media space, which is just highlighting uh, just how hard it's been for the market to stabilize when these high PE growth stocks, mostly tech, uh, have um, have had such a uh, such a hard time. But just to wrap it up. And then I'll go to you, Lawrence, uh, for, for any closing remarks you may have. LPR Research still believes this is a growth scare, not a recession. You know, we already had a negative GDP quarter. We think Q2 is going to be positive, And then maybe we'll have a, an acceleration from there. But the outlook is very uncertain. Uh, so it's, you know, it's going to be close. And so the market's pricing in probably 50 60% chance of recession already with this decline near 20%. Um, but if it is a growth scare, there's a lot of upside here. So that's why we're talking about, again, in that range of 3,800 on the S&P, we'll hope that holds. Um, we think the medium to long-term returns from there will be uh, very attractive. And even if it's a recession, we think it'll be mild uh, and it probably won't come for the next year. So that's, um, that's really all I wanted to um, get to. So, Lawrence, um, anything else you want to add to all that? Well, I mean, I think just to kind of underline what you what you just mentioned about the uncertainty, but the fact that markets have already repriced a lot of this uncertainty into into the, the drawdowns, both on the equity side and the fixed income side. You know, the, the rate market has sold off tremendously this year because of expected uh, Fed rate hikes. Uh, we think a lot of that may be overdone, but. You know, markets are forward-looking, and and they price in a lot of the the uncertainty and negativity out there. So, if there's just a, a, a small positive catalyst, we think that that could really you know turn things around. Um, so we'll be watching closely, uh, both on the equity side and the fixed income side for sure for that that positive catalyst. Yeah, well, in that PCE data on Friday, we'll also get consumer spending, consumer incomes. It'll be really important to monitor just how much inflation is eating away at consumer buying power. Right, this the the upper half of the income spectrum is holding up very well. Maybe it's that lower quartile quartile of the income spectrum that you really have to watch to see how well their spending can hold up. We certainly saw some evidence of slowing uh, consumer spending in the um, uh, you know in the results from from retailers last week. So, consumer really important in determining whether we get a recession uh, or not. So. That's not really a happy note to end on, but we're going to end on it anyway. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, Ryan, for trusting us with the keys. Hopefully we didn't wreck the car. Uh, thank you, Lawrence, for, for joining. Really good discussion about bonds. Um, people should certainly be thinking about uh, fixed income here, maybe if they hadn't uh, in, uh, in recent years. Um, we will be back in two weeks with Ryan for the next edition of Market Signals. Um, so uh, Ryan's you know, decided we, we decided to take next week off because of the holidays. So everybody have a wonderful uh, Memorial Day weekend. Thanks for all of you who served our country. And um, we will uh, we'll see you in two weeks. This material was provided by LPL Financial. It's for general information only and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. There is no assurance that the views or strategies discussed are suitable for all investors or will yield positive outcomes. Investing involves risks, including possible loss of principal. Any economic forecasts set forth in the podcast may not develop as predicted and are subject to change. References to markets, asset classes, and sectors are generally regarding the 
corresponding market index. All indexes are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Index performance is not indicative of the performance of any investment. All performance reference is historical and it's no guarantee of future results. All information referenced in the podcast is believed to be from reliable sources. However, we make no representation as to its completeness or accuracy. Securities and advisory services offered through Elkdale Financial, a registered investment advisor and broker-dealer. Member FINRA and SIPC. Insurance products are offered through LPL or its licensed affiliates. To the extent you are receiving investment advice from a separately registered investment advisor that is not an LPL affiliate, Please note, LPL makes no representation with respect to such entity. If your financial professional is located at a bank or credit union, please note that the bank or credit union is not registered as a broker dealer or investment advisor. These products and services are being offered through LPL or its affiliates, which are separate entities from and not affiliates of the bank or credit union. Securities and insurance offered through LPL or its affiliates are not insured by the FDIC or NCUA or any government agency. Not bank or credit union guaranteed, not bank or credit union deposits or obligations and may lose value.